a lot of the big corporations have got wind of how much they could potentially make by catering to our community, and they've they've jumped on the bandwagon. Welcome to Made For Us, a podcast about the intersection of innovation and inclusion. It's for anyone who's curious about how to develop products that work better for all of us. This week, I have two guests joining me on the show. The first guest is Intisar Bashir, the co-founder and CEO of Bandages, a company that sells bandages in a range of skin tones. Intisar and her husband Rashid started Bandages in 2018 after spotting a gap in the market. None of the major bandage manufacturers were catering to an increasingly diverse population. In the interview, we talk about how that's now changed. Johnson & Johnson, for example, launched its own line of inclusive bandages in 2021. Intisar also fills me in on what happened after Brandage's appearance on Shark Tank last year. I was not fully aware of the reach of the show. I knew its popularity in the States, but the amount of exposure that it gave us worldwide. We've, we've been contacted from people in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, in India, in Qatar, in Kuwait, in Kenya. My other guest today is Dom Apollon. Dom's tweet in 2019 about wearing a skin tone bandage for the first time went viral and inspired the UK supermarket chain Tesco to launch bandages, aka plasters, in different skin tones. Just seeing the way it blended in, it gave me this unfamiliar uh, sense of belonging, of being seen and being valued. I knew that this company had taken the time to again think about people, Black people like me, or people of color with darker skin tones. First, let's hear from Intisar Bashir. My name is Intisar Bashir. I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of Brownages. We are a first aid care business that specializes in flesh tone inclusive products. Our flagship product is our assorted Brownages box. It comes with five shades of bandages in it, ranging from sand all the way to ebony. My husband and I founded the business in 2018. At that time, we had three children. Now we currently have four. So we have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old. They also were the inspiration behind the characters for our children's bandages as well. So the idea was to provide flesh tone bandages, but also bandages with children's characters on them. So can you just talk about the, the two different type of products that you have? Yes, our children's line of bandages offers bandages with images on it of children in professions that they can actually aspire to. So our two flagship children's tins were actually characters that were that we designed off of the likeness of our own children. So our our oldest Naila the chef, um Yasmin the veterinarian, Tahir astronaut and Zane, he's um, one of my really good friends, son, the pilot. So we we wanted them to literally see themselves in the characters that we produced and put them in professions that they could actually grow and aspire to. And also, I remember reading about the impact that it's had on your own children and their career aspirations. Yes, at the time. So my 13-year-old, she was like seven or eight or something like that when we started. So career path was nowhere like in her mind, you know what I mean? So we just picked different careers that we thought were be cool or would translate well into a character. And so she, my oldest, she was depicted as a chef and my second oldest, she was depicted as a veterinarian. 
And I guess just over the years, like my oldest, she started gravitating towards baking. Like she was like, I want to own a bakery and stuff like that. So, and then my, my 11 year old, she has taken an affinity to animals. And so she's just, she knows if she sees a dog on the street, she's that's this, I'm not an animal person. So I don't really know dog breeds and stuff like that, but she's able to like rattle off like this is a chocolate lab and da, 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 and I'm just like oh okay now sure <laughs> you know I'll go with it um I'm never one to like try to like push them away from like learning more or anything like that so I just continue to encourage them whether or not they actually go into those fields like they're still young but just seeing themselves in those images has spark something, unlock something in their mind to even start to think about the possibility of doing those things. And also I was interested in the story behind the name and even the slogan as well. What inspired that? My husband, he is an, a children's book author, so he has a way with words. So he was the one who came up with our brand name. So our heal and silence tagline is one that he came up with. And it's, it's when you really look at it, it is the goal of our business, allowing individuals of all different shades to heal in silence, like to be able to walk in the room and not one of the first things a person sees on you is a, a stark contrast bandage to your flesh. So we want to provide the opportunity for people to heal in silence and go about their day and not have to answer unwarranted questions. So you made the decision to, to launch this product, but when you looked at the potential market size, how confident were you that there were enough people who wanted bandages that matched their skin tone and, and that there was a big enough market for this? I forget the, the numbers at this point, but when we ran the numbers on just like the bandage industry in general, it's astounding. I don't know about in different part of, wor of the world, but here in the United States, there is one big conglomerate that everybody knows, you know what I mean? And so at the time, they were not producing flesh tone bandages for black and brown people. And so we said, hey, like, why not? There's no large company that is catering to our community. Since then, a lot of the big corporations have got wind of how much they could potentially make by catering to our community, and they've, they've jumped on the bandwagon. And it's not really much that we can do with that to combat that because they're large corporations. We're just a small mom-and-pop family-owned business. We'll just we'll continue to cater to our community which is was like our mission all along. And so I like to believe that as long as we stay the course, eventually the bigger corporations will unfortunately forget about us again. <laughs> and then we will will hopefully still be here. I asked Intisar about her experience on Shark Tank, where she and her husband were offered a $100,000 investment and a $75,000 line of credit from three sharks, including Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks basketball team. I wanted to know if they went on the show with a specific outcome in mind. So going into it, you have to come up with 
a deal that you want to present to the investors. So we we took our time to develop what percentage we were willing to give up for what dollar amount and stuff like that. But ultimately, what we wanted to get out of Shark Tank was like a distribution deal, getting our products in front of more people at retailers around the world, around the country. What doesn't show on the show is like after the fact, you have to do like all of your due diligence and stuff like that, run the numbers and see if it makes sense for your business and if it makes sense for their business to acquire a a portion of your company. So with that being said, what they wanted out of the deal was to sell our business to a larger company. And what I said, what we wanted out of the deal was a distribution deal to get our products in CVS, Walmart, Target, any of those like kind of mainstream stores. And so our visions did not align. And so therefore we didn't, we didn't close our deal with them. Okay. So in the end, you decided to part company that didn't actually pan out. So you have that option. Like on the show, it's a handshake deal. It's an agreement that you come up with in, with 20 minutes, but there's a lot more like behind the scenes after the show happens, lawyers meeting and stuff like that, that you have to still come to an agreement on. And so we didn't agree on the direction that we wanted to go. And so therefore we didn't sign with them. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Because they made some pretty sort of big promises. Um, I think Mark Cuban was talking about a co-branding deal. Initially, it was a bit disheartening, but after like one further research and finding out like the percentage of deals that actually don't close on the show, it was like, oh, okay, we're we're not an anomaly. It's we're not the only one that this is happening to. And two, like we are firm believers that what is meant for us is meant for us, and clearly that just wasn't the direction that was meant for our business to go in. If we couldn't see eye to eye on what we wanted to do with the business with potential investors, then it's no, there's no real amount of money that will have us change the direction of where we want our business to go. Okay. And could you explain why you don't think selling the company to one of the bigger players in the industry is an option for you? For us, we want our business to be something that we can hand down to our children and selling it to a larger corporation. Well, it might give you an initial large payout or something like that. It's not something that can essentially create generational wealth for our family. It would just be like a one time thing. And it's easy to burn through one large lump sum of money as opposed to handing down a company that will hopefully continue to generate wealth for our family for generations. Right. So you're very much thinking about the long term. Yes. But but at the same time, I guess going on Shark Tank must have been great for the company. I mean, in terms of the publicity and and brand awareness, can you talk about the impact of that? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I was not fully aware of the reach of the show. Like I knew its popularity in in the states but the amount of exposure that it gave us worldwide like we've we've been contacted from people in Pakistan and Bangladesh and India and Qatar and Kuwait and Kenya I just didn't know 
And and maybe that's like a fault of mine of not really researching the show or just thinking that it was just here in the United States. But the reach of the show is very like it's it's like to this day. And like I said, that was about almost a year and a half, two years ago. We still get contacted off of people just seeing the episode and saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm so excited that I found your product. I, I just saw your episode of Shark Tank. And I'm just like, wow, I guess that medium of television, it really, you just never know the reach of it, really. And so the product is stocked in stores all across the U.S., I believe. What are your plans in terms of distribution? One of our biggest goals is to get our products in the hospitals and doctor's offices. So that that's our next goal in distributing our products is getting it in, the, in those industries and not necessarily in retail because retail space is very, it's kind of hard to break into. And especially right now, while I feel like the, the flesh tone bandage, it's kind of flooded right now. So we're not so much focusing on the, the retail side of things anymore. I also wanted to go back to 2020 because that was quite a, a big year for the business. Can you talk me through that year and the impact that the events of 2020 had on your business? Yes. So back in 2020, so we were barely, I want to say two years into our business. We we're still figuring things out. A large part of our business was done in person at different trade shows or different things like that. With COVID, the world kind of shut down. So that that really limited our, our reach. You know what I mean? We really enjoyed getting in front of people and presenting our product to them. And at the same time, the social unrest happened. And so it was a really, it was a really interesting time in that through all of that unrest and that sadness and that anger, I will say, I feel like our community as like black people, like we really, really stood up and stood together. And like the amount of support that we got during that time, the inventory that we had like in stock that we had projected would last us for the remainder of our, of that year it sold out within six days. And that was just solely based off of community support, word of mouth, people sharing posts on Instagram. Like it, it was like a viral moment for us because at that time people were sharing businesses in every category that were black owned that, hey, you, you need this product? buy from this company. You don't need to go get it from the, the larger companies like that. So the amount of support that we received during that time from our community was amazing. I mean, we couldn't have predicted and it was nothing that we could have prepared for, but um, we were like grateful um, for that, that time and that, that acknowledgement of our community supporting us. Right. And, and I think you said on Shark Tank that it was about almost a year's worth of revenue in that you made in 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 those six days. Yes, yes, it was. It got to the point like we use the Shopify platform, and it's I have the app on my phone, and so it dings every time I had to like turn off my notifications because it was so it was so it was literally overwhelming. Like 
because I didn't even, I didn't know what was happening as it was happening. Our business was being posted on very large platforms and I was just not able to keep up. And so my sister, like she called me and, or she like screenshotted and sent me this. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's why my phone has been going crazy. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was, it was a blessing to be able to be a part of that. You know what I mean? Be a part of that impact that was happening during that time. And so that's why I know that if we are able as a community, as like black and brown people to sustain that, I have no like qualms about continuing our business. I know that's not going to ever be like duplicated or anything like that, but it's like, bandages are a product that will be needed from here until eternity. You know what I mean? And if we make a priority to support our own companies, that will sustain us. And I know it won't even make a dent in the larger corporations like their annual revenue, but it will be enough to sustain us. Now, here's my interview with Dom Apollon. He shares the story behind his viral tweet and why he thinks it resonated with so many people around the world, including a best-selling author and a Hollywood actor. My name is Dom Apollon. I'm a racial equity researcher and professional consultant. For about 15 years, I served as the vice president of research at Race Forward, which is a national racial justice organization here in the United States, the largest national racial justice organization. And uh, yeah, so now I conduct research for clients on evaluation services, impact planning for social and racial justice. Okay, thank you. So some people might know you because of a tweet. Can you tell us about that tweet just very briefly for people who may not be familiar? So this was at the, during my time at Race Forward. I actually wrote a tweet that includes some photographs of uh, my hand um, with a bandage. My, you call them plasters. Uh, in the UK, we call them typically band-aids here in the States. And it was a, a skin tone bandage. It was designed by this particular company called True Color, particularly for for darker skin tones. And it was the first time that I'd actually ever had a, a skin tone bandage on my hand. I'd actually bought it a couple of months previously and I hadn't really thought that much of it. Went to support. It was, I thought it was a novel, a novel thing. I'd never really seen one before. And so I bought it, I bought the box and, and, and I was just really moved and surprised by the emotions that came up for me when I when I saw how well it blended with my skin tone, I, it it actually shocked, it shocked me. I got more emotional than than certainly than I ever imagined. But just seeing the way it blended in, it gave me this unfamiliar uh, sense of belonging, of being seen and being valued. I knew that this company had taken the time to think about people, black people like me. Or people, again, people of color with darker skin tones. It was just such an unfamiliar feeling, this feeling of belonging. It, it reminded me of, of how more typically in my life and society, my skin tone has, has actually been, yeah, disrespected, has been undervalued, has been targeted at times, whether that was 
in my educational experience or with police or again, just in in stores, being shopping and feeling like I was being um, followed. And then more typically, again, just with my understanding of of, of how black people, my fellow black people in the United States are treated. It's, it it was just such an unfamiliar feeling, this feeling of belonging that it actually made me sad as well. That it's almost like a glimpse of, of a better future. What could be if, if black people in general were, were more included, if we had more racial social inclusion. And it's amazing that something so small as a plaster or a bandage can bring up such emotions, right? I think some people listening to this might be scratching their heads a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and honestly, again, I felt silly uh, you know, at times. And but I posted it and, and I think it was in the afternoon or you know evening. It started getting some response, but not a lot. And I thought, okay, I got a couple hundred hits. But yeah, I went to bed and, and, and the next morning, it had thousands and thousands of likes and, and, and retweets. It just started doing the rounds. It really resonated with folks. Actually, John Boyega, the, the actor, posted actually about it. I have no idea how it came up on on his feed, but it resonated, again, particularly with women of color, Black women who spoke about feeling excluded in terms of beauty products. Then I, there were folks in Africa who were saying, brother, I've, yeah, like, I've never seen that that kind of thing either. I think that the, the fact that the tweet also actually gave folks the experience that I had, because I, I posted two pictures. One was a little bit further away and one was a close-up. And in the further away picture, you, you just think, what is this? Why is this guy pick, taking a picture of his hand? But then when you get up close, you can just barely, barely see it. And again, it's just not an experience. I think that many Black people really, I'll say around the world, had had. So they had that experience with me. And again, for some folks, again, even for some Black people, they're like, seriously, brother, like, we got bigger things. There are bigger fish, fish to fry than, um, you know. Than a plaster, but and, I, and again, I completely understand it. And again, as someone who's studied research racial justice, absolutely for me, issues of again belonging inclusion. This is probably number nine hundred and seventy-six on the list of most important topics. But it was just a symbol, really, for me. Again, it was just a small symbol, but one that again that resonated. And, and, and I was also surprised by a lot of the white folks on who posted or replied to the tweet, just feeling. That wow, I never really thought about this is in terms of this this type of again white privilege. Folks thinking educators wanting to buy them for their again for their students, so that again kids can grow up feeling again this more included. So it's a long term process. So you said you got comments from from all over the world. Were there any in particular that were memorable that particularly stick out? Yeah, I mean, certainly getting something like again, John Boyega. I'm tweeting about it and saying how even on on movie sets they had to use some brown marker to co- color them in. Mallory Blackman, a based author, had written that had written about it in in her you know, book Knots and Crosses. I actually hadn't known about that book, but there were actually other folks who were posting and saying, "Hey, I remember this from again from her book." Um, there was there were folks in in black folks in Brazil. I can remember one person in particular just writing about how she had felt ashamed as a kid, had like how the the 
quote unquote flesh colored tan plasters had just called attention to the fact that she was she was I guess accident prone kid and having to put those on all the time and it just again, again just gave her this this sense of, of of shame. So yeah, so those are some of the ones that 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 stand out. Yeah, that stand out most to me. Mm. And at the time, were you particularly active on Twitter? Did you have lots of followers? I didn't have that many. I'd use Twitter for the most part for conferences at Race Ford. Yeah. So I had really, honestly, I think it was a couple hundred, maybe over, a little over a thousand followers there. So I'd never had a tweet that had more than a couple hundred likes. And so to get something that had, at the time, it, it peaked over, over half a million. It was quite extraordinary of an experience. Dom says not all the comments he received were friendly, and he did get to see the ugly side of social media. But overall, he says he has no regrets. I mean, honestly, that is one of the best things I ever did because it, it resonated with so many folks. Social media can be cruel and ugly at times. And, and I definitely felt that at times from this experience being the, the target of, of, of some, some racist trolls and my either in the replies to the tweet or in direct messages. But but opening the eyes of a lot of white folks and and also just, again, connecting with Black people. Honestly, again, it was around the world. So it was great to be able to help provide that platform for folks to be able to, to, to share their experiences and be heard. Um, and again, for me, this particular experience was about racial exclusion and, and racial you know, inclusion. But it was a broader story of, of, of belonging. There are other ways that, that people are excluded by their, their gender, or by their race and, and gender, for their gender expression, for, for sexual orientation. There, there are many ways that, that, that people are excluded or can feel included. My hope was that uh, the tweet allows folks to just be a bit less defensive when they hear about experiences of, of exclusion. One thing that I really hope that folks can do, particularly white people and uh, like other, others who, who aren't Black, is just, just take a breath. When you hear an expression of a you know, Black person or another in person of color, it, ex- expressing themselves in their experience of racial exclusion I think for a lot of white people, there's just an automatic sense of defensiveness or like dismissiveness. And that happens in schools. It happens in all kinds of places of work. It happens again in, in, in hospitals, really to the detriment of again, the health of black people in particular. It happens again in, in businesses. And if folks can just kind of take a breath just to calm that, that defensiveness and dismissiveness, then black people will be heard more again in our societies, feel more included, and we can all make better decisions, honestly. And there are ways I think again that white people in particular can help make more space for for black people again, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your schools, again your businesses, wherever it is, by backing us up and allowing us to have the space again to to share by also taking your white colleagues, your fellow white colleagues aside and having one-on-one, again, conversations with them. Again, that's how we're going to help long-term uh, just create societies that, that are and far more racially inclusive, far more just, racially equitable for all of us. 
So as you probably know, Tesco, which is one of the big supermarket chains in the UK, they released plasters in three different skin tones. I believe it was in 2020. And they actually said that your tweet was the inspiration for that. I guess you're aware of that. Like, what did you what did you think when you first heard about that? Uh, I was. I was chuffed to bits. I, I would say I was really happy to, um, <laughs> to to see that. I know they had an ad campaign. I think I remember something like it's about bloody time or there was they had some funny, funny commercials. They, they used some comedians as well. So they were having some fun with it as well. I, I was, again, really pleased to see it. It um, took a lot longer, I think, again, here in the States. It was really actually even after. George Floyd's murder that 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 Johnson and Johnson, the company that is that makes the the most popular product here in the United States, started to 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 create some products again, some skin tone products. So so yeah, I was again very very happy to see that see that impact. But there's there's so many other ways again as as others have posted posted on, in in the tweet thread of of this anti blackness, including like skin bleaching products that are used. In places in again in Africa, they're used here in the again in the United States by some as well in parts of Asia, and so there's there's still this anti-blackness in again so many of our products. I can remember I think there was there was a UK-based obstetrician, black woman obstetrician, who wrote a, a an opinion piece about the pharmaceutical industry and how the pharmaceutical industry is really racially exclusive does not often think about people of color in terms of its products and she was saying she had patients black women who didn't feel comfortable wearing a a, um, birth control patch that was again quote-unquote flesh-toned that didn't match the again the color of their skin and they didn't want to be called necessarily calling attention to the fact that they again were on birth control, whether it was for their, their partners again, or, or others, their hearing aids. And so I can remember actually there was a, my, at my children's after school care program, there was one of the staffers there was, was from Thailand and she had a, an uncle who was of, of darker skin tone. And she, she told me when she saw the tweet, she said, yeah, my, my uncle like didn't want to really wear his, his hearing aid because it, like it's not in his, his, again, his skin tone. And it really is gives me called attention to um there are again other like again pharmaceutical patches that 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 um are not designed again for again for for people of color and so so much more to be done um and again happy that the the tweet was 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 a platform for this expression thank you to intisar bashir and dom apollon you can head to the show notes if you'd like to learn more if you enjoyed this episode why not share it with a friend or colleague And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Tosin Suleiman. Thanks for joining me on Made For Us. 